Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are the NFL teams to pay attention to on the home stretch of the season and making picks for Week 14. Plus, did the playoff committee get it right in the top four for the college football playoff? And breaking down the headlines from the NBA, including Steph Curry's chase for history. It's episode 51 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Hey everybody, here on Thursday, December 9th, 2021, the 51st edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube, the big change obviously is in the appearance, the flow, all the hair is gone. We had to get it done. It was just getting wild and out of control. That's most of the reason why you saw me with a hat was just, it was all, gets all crazy and you got to contain it with the, with the ball cap. So haircut was done. I think it looks good. I'm uh, getting used to it, obviously, with it being really cold out. Now, that, that first initial day, I was like, oh, it feels much colder. And then it's because there's less hair protecting your neck than there is. Uh, but otherwise, we had our first fall of snow here in Swampscott, Massachusetts. Just a little bit of a coating, nothing too crazy. But it's getting colder. The snow is coming down. But that's nothing compared to what we saw on Monday night in Buffalo snow, wind, it was absolutely insane, and that's a good segue into our first subject, which is about the NFL. We'll be making picks for Week 14 in just a little bit, but for this week, I wanted to talk about some of the teams really to keep a close eye on, and obviously it has to be, you have to start with the New England Patriots, and we'll talk more about the game itself on Monday night, about the Patriots during our Let's Get Local, but I want to talk specifically about this team and the chances that they have, because this is one of the teams, as I said in the, uh, in the promo that the teams that you have to watch out for, this is the number one right here, because not only are they the number one seed in the AFC, but they've got seven straight wins. Defense looks incredible. And Bill Belichick is showing why he's the greatest head coach in the history of the NFL. I mean, First off, the game was absolutely wild on Monday night to see the wind blowing just like that, to see Adam Schefter and almost everyone getting blown away. Schefter looked horrible, absolutely horrible in Buffalo on Monday night. But I think the sole reason this team is where they are is defense, is all about defense. I mean, they've got great weapons from top to bottom. Obviously, you got a defensive player of the year candidate in Matt Judon, 12 and a half sacks, top three in the NFL. You got J.C. Jackson, second in the NFL with seven picks. And then you look at statistically just turnovers and being able to stop the ball has been crucial for this team. I mean, they're the top defense in points per game allowed, interceptions, third overall in turnover difference, and opponents' yards per game. I mean, Bill Belichick is managing this team because he doesn't get sucked into this new age of football where you have to have a balance of passing and running and stuff like that. On Monday night, he said, we're going to run the ball and it's up to you to stop us. And, you know, credit to the Patriots for being able to do that. But Buffalo should have been able to stop it, should have been able to stop it. But of course, the game was won on defense in the red zone during that last drive. During that last drive, that's where they won it. Now, the holdout for this team is because of their schedule, okay? This was probably, during their seven straight wins, probably the most complete, maybe not complete, but this was a team, probably the toughest team that they had to face. Obviously, you had a banged-up Tennessee team. You had a Cleveland team that wasn't looking good. Who else was in there? The Jets. Um, Also, you know, the Chargers was probably the second most impressive team that they beat, but... The next couple of games are going to be tough for New England, and that's really going to show where they are in the standings. Are they really one of the top teams in the AFC? Because after this bye week, they get Indianapolis, 
Indianapolis is a tough team. After that, you play Buffalo at home again. But I think at this moment, they're one of the top two teams in the AFC, and they're someone to really watch out for. If Mac Jones in the offense gets a little more comfortable, if the defense continues to hold their own, it'll be really interesting to see what New England can do during this home stretch of the regular season. Now, I say top two because I can't really put them at the top as the best team in the AFC because I think that belongs to Kansas City. And I think, you know, I still kind of hold out hope that Kansas City is like fully back to where they were. I mean, yes, they've won five straight after starting three and four, but I think they're one or two wins away back from like me personally being in the the confidence pool of being, okay, this Chiefs team is where they should be. And that's why they're a team to watch out for because this team is getting it done defensively. I mean, look at what happened at the beginning of the year. Yes, Patrick Mahomes was creating the turnovers, but this defense relied so long on Mahomes being able to bail them out. And when they couldn't do that, the flaws started to show. Now the defense is holding their own while Mahomes is still struggling a little bit. I mean, the the outlier is obviously that Raiders win where they put up 41 points. But, you know, look at the look at the game last Sunday night against Denver. Only 22 points scored. 22 points. This is a team that would average, you know, 30 at one point. So Kansas City, once they get that offense together, they're going to be fully the top team right now. I understand they're fourth right now in the conference, but that's just because of tie breaks. Baltimore beat them. Tennessee beat them. You know, if they get this win uh, this week, then they'll probably get themselves back to number one. And that's ultimately where I think they're going to be. They're either going to be number one or number two, because I do have confidence that they are back to where they once were. I think Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, you know, it's going to be up to, it's going to be up to them, essentially. You know, that's that's going to be the force that carries them. Obviously, is the, de- the defense is going to be if they win the Super Bowl or not. But in terms of getting back to the top of conference, I think they're one or two wins away. I think, you know, ultimately after this week, you could really say, oh, Kansas City is definitely back to where they once were. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, another team, Baltimore. I think there's someone you really have to not necessarily watch for, but someone to really keep an eye on because their offense has changed dramatically and not in a good way. (coughs) I mean, look at the last four games, 10, 16, 16, 19 points scored. Okay. And it starts and ends with Lamar Jackson. Okay. Six interceptions. Okay. Four straight games with an interception. He's been sacked 13 times in the last three games, okay? And I think part of it is Lamar's kind of coming back down to earth in terms of a passing quarterback. We still know he can run. But we're seeing defenses being able to contain this sort of run game of Lamar Jackson. But someone other than him has to contribute, okay? Because when you look at the numbers, Jackson has 762 rush yards. He leads the team. But the next closest is Devontae Freeman. You know how many he has? 376. So it's got to be, you got to get the running backs involved. And I know it. they've got a ton of injuries. Obviously, defensively, they're struggling with Marlon Humphrey now out for the year. That's why I think, you know, they're a team to watch for because I think they might tumble and tumble and tumble. And who knows, maybe Cincinnati we could be talking about as the AFC North champs at the moment. We could be talking about the Bengals, depending on, how things go and when you look at those standings. But Baltimore is someone really to watch for basically on the fact is that they could continue to tumble and tumble and tumble. But there's one other team in the AFC that I want you to watch out for, and that's the Colts, Indianapolis Colts. Now they're not playing this week, but they have had some really tough stretches of games, obviously obviously losing to Tampa a week prior and then beating Houston this week. But I think from where they're looking at right now, they're seven and six, ninth place in the conference. I think this team finds a way to get in. And, but I think it has to start next week when they play New England. They have to win that game against New England to certify their spot. But then it doesn't get easier after that. They go to Arizona to take on the Cardinals, then home versus the Raiders, and on the road against the Jaguars. 
So I think Indianapolis, you know, on both sides of the ball, probably a top 15 team, you know, maybe on the fringe of a top 10 in terms of where they are. But I think this Indianapolis team is a lot better than people think, especially when you have Jonathan Taylor running the ball. You have Carson Wentz, who, when we know that he can stay on his two feet, can be a good quarterback, not an elite quarterback, but just a good quarterback. So Indianapolis is someone to really watch out for in the AFC. But on the other side, on the NFC, (coughs) you know, speaking of Arizona, I still think they're the best team, you know, injuries or not. When you see the difference that Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins make back into the lineup, what a difference. Well, first off, watching Kyler Murray on those two touchdowns, that guy is faster maybe the fastest player that this league has right now. I think Arizona is a team to watch in for the fact of they're my pick to be the top team in the NFC. I think they continue to roll. Obviously the tough stretch is this Monday night when they take on the Rams, but then they've got the Lions, the Colts, the Cowboys, the Seahawks, relatively easy schedule aside from this Monday night. And then the Colts and the Cowboys, I think this is an Arizona team that, you know, people are going to say, oh, it's Green Bay. Oh, it's Tampa Bay. I don't think so. I think Arizona finishes in the top spot in the NFC. I don't know how they do it, but I think defensively they're, you know, they're not great to where they once were in uh, the beginning of the year. But offensively, they've got all their weapons back. They're healthy. I like Arizona to finish at the top. Green Bay. I think I have more confidence in them going to the Super Bowl. However, I think they can get there. Tampa's kind of, you know, on the fringe for me just because the defense is dealing with so many injuries, kind of similar to Tampa Bay. But I think another team you got to watch for is Washington. The football team is rolling now. They're 6-6, six and six, and we've seen in years past when essentially Ron Rivera was at the helm that this is a second-half of the season kind of team. And a lot of people are saying they could beat Dallas this week. And honestly, I'm one of those people that that can see it. I think I can see Washington uh, pulling off the upset against Dallas. I mean, Dallas is the better team. I'll say that right now because when they're healthy, I'm a big Cowboys believer in that when the team is healthy, they're one of the top five teams in the NFC and definitely top 10 in the league. But But I think at the moment, the Cowboys and the Washington football team are that close. (coughs) They're that close to each other that this could come down to a field goal on Sunday. But for Washington, right now, they're sitting sixth right now. I think Taylor Heineke and that offense, again, this isn't a flashy team. This is just a team that knows how to get it done. Now, granted, Montez Sweat's on the COVID list. Logan Thomas is done for the year. So that could be the thing that holds them back. But just keep an eye on the WFTs and see if they can go far. But lastly, I want to talk about the San Francisco 49ers. They're another team at 6-6, six and six, currently sitting 7th right now in the NFC. I think, you know, they've got playoff opportunities as well. We're learning that George Kittle to Jimmy G, you know, is essentially, you know, Gronk to Brady or Marvin Harrison to Peyton Manning or just that reliable guy where once he's on the field, the quarterback plays that much better. So if San Francisco can turn things around, it starts with the connection from Jimmy Garoppolo to George Kittle. If Kittle gets involved in a big way, then this Niners team has a chance to go the distance. But can they go into week 14 and pick up a win? That'll be something to be scut be discussed with our guest picker uh, for week 14. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the week 14 NFL edition of Pick'em. So it's once again time to pick some slate of NFL games. It's our NFL Pick'em segment. We got another special guest joining us, a fellow Westfield State alum and the owner manager of boomsplayground.com. You can check that blog out. Nick Devlin joins the show Nick, thanks for taking the time to make some picks. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. It's good to be here. So, obviously, uh, for those who follow you on social media, you're a big outdoors guy. Uh, we talked about uh, really briefly 
how uh, outdoors have inspired you. Uh, what gave you the inspiration to uh, start writing a blog all about the outdoors? Obviously, everyone who saw you did a bunch of trails, a lot of outdoor stuff. What's the inspiration behind BoomsPlayground.com? Yeah, well, it all just kind of started um, after I came back from the Appalachian Trail when I finished it. Um, I kind of just got this inspiration to write a book, um, and I did, and I wrote a manuscript. Um, and then when I was done, I came to find that getting a book published is a lot harder than you'd think, um, at least, you know, the traditional commercial route where you go through, you know, a big name publisher. And I came to find that it's almost impossible uh, to do that unless you have some sort of name, um, you know, out there and writing them. So I started this blog um, and I actually started it um, back in March before I went on the Pacific Crest Trail. And then um, I just continued it back up when I came back a few months ago. Um, but I have had a lot of fun doing it, writing it. Um, it's a great way to help out other people who might want to do similar things who don't know where, where to start per se. And I, I do accolades um, for other people um, in the hiking community who have done cool stuff or have interesting takes or um, perspectives. And um, I have other stuff on there too. I have some stuff on skiing. I have some stuff on um, the environment, diversity and, and backpacking and stuff like that. Um, right now, as you can see here, I'm, I actually live in a cabin with no running water um, or cell phone service. I wrote a, I wrote a little blog on that. Um, so yeah, you can check it out. Uh, it's just booms, boomsplayground.com. Boom is uh, as in my hiking alias. It's kind of just one of those things that uh, is a trademark um, of through hiking. People get these, um, these alternative names that we use. Um, so boom, as in apostrophe S playground, playground is the blog uh, playground uh, metaphorically as in the world the, the world is my playground i guess um it's kind of cheesy but <laughs> is what it is um and yeah i'm trying to just do uh one post a week um sometimes have guest authors i had a guest author um a couple weeks ago um and but mostly it's just my writing um so check it out if you want to if you're into that kind of stuff i've read a couple of the blogs and they are great and obviously you know outside the cabin you got your hat obviously on there's definitely <laughs> a lot of outdoors in you as let's just jump right into these picks getting into week 14, 13 and three is still the mark by Johnny Mansaridis in our very first segment that we're shooting for. Now, obviously, Nick, you and I are both Patriots fans. Patriots are on a bye this week. So just really briefly, uh, what's your take on the season so far, especially that Monday night game uh, just a few nights ago? I think I like what I'm seeing. I think I like it because it's consistent um, and it is momentum driven. Um, obviously, we had a lot of close games that we lost um, earlier on, but even then they were close games and we almost won them. We almost won the game against Tampa. Um, we almost won the game against Dallas. Um, and I think that we're building something that's really good. And I think that has a future and I like Mac Jones and he's consistent, which is important. Um, and uh, the game the other night, I, I think was really important that we won. I think we did a great job coming through in the end. And it was one of the strangest games I have ever seen for sure. Um, I didn't realize how windy it was, you know, before I watched, before I started watching it. And then uh, I was convinced at one point that it was just going to be a one pass game. I couldn't believe we took that approach and it was actually uh, windy to a point where that was the best strategy. Um, so yeah, but otherwise, you know, all in all, just uh, I'm liking what I'm seeing. You're you'll hear it on the let's get local segment, but old school rules in that game. And it was just run, run, run. Definitely surreal, especially watching the pregame Adam Schefter getting blown off his chair. That's how windy it was. Some of the kicks, you know, sailing everywhere. It was surreal. One of the most surreal games I've ever seen. But that's in week 13. Let's talk about week 14. And we start with the Thursday night matchup between Pittsburgh and Minnesota. Minnesota allowing Detroit to win their first game of the year. Now sit at five and seven right now on the outside looking in of the NFC playoffs. And meanwhile, Pittsburgh is hot, 6-5-1, and one, knocking off the Ravens. What do you think is going to happen in Thursday night football? I think it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a close one. Uh, I don't miss – I think Minnesota is going to have enough to pull it off, though. I, mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm liking what I'm seeing with Pittsburgh. Obviously, they had that game the other night, and I think they're, you know, just starting to rekindle things a little bit. So, definitely Pittsburgh for that one. I, th I think, you know, the inspiration is huge, especially, you know, John Harbaugh calling the fourth down, and people could say Baltimore lost that game, but – Pittsburgh is surging. And also for Minnesota, they've got a ton of injuries too. Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, all signs are pointing that they're not going to play. I think it's just deflating, especially that game against Detroit. Easy win for Pittsburgh, I think, heading even though they're going into Minnesota. And I think Pittsburgh kind of doing a swan song thing, especially after hearing Roethlisberger is considering this as his last year entering retirement. Everyone in that organization is thinking, let's go all in to get Big Ben into the playoffs. So I think Pittsburgh wins that game. As then we go from the Thursday slate to the Sunday slate, 
Ravens and Browns, nice matchup in the AFC North. Ravens haven't looked like themselves offensively. Meanwhile, Cleveland coming off the bye. What do you think between the Ravens and the Browns? Yeah, another good one. You know, division game, you know, a lot of the line. Um, really close game, but I think ultimately on top, ultimately, I think they just have what it takes. Hey, I think, you know, the, the bye week helps Cleveland, but I just think Baltimore, you know, this is what they need. They need this to get back on track. I don't think they've hit any points in about four or five weeks. Uh, that offense hasn't looked the same it was. I think Lamar Jackson, this is sort of his game to say, we're back. We're back into it. They're trying to get to the top of the AFC, and I think they win this one, although it's going to be close. I think it's going to be close, and I think people are underestimating Cleveland. You know, Baker Mayfield has had a ton of injuries he's had to fight through, and it's just an off year, you know. You can't win them all, Cleveland. You got to remember that. You can't win them all, even though you haven't really won that one that much recently. As then we go to Jacksonville and Tennessee, this one feels like a quick one. Jacksonville two and ten. Tennessee off the bye at eight and four. What do you think between the Jags and the Titans? Yeah, another division game. You know, you never know with those, but it seems pretty. I agree. It seems pretty one sided. Eight and four, two and ten. Got to go Tennessee. I for I think the only benefit that Jacksonville has is because Tennessee is so depleted injury wise. If they can force a couple of interceptions by Ryan Tannehill, maybe it's close. But I think Tennessee, again, easy win, especially after the Jags just lost by 30 to the Rams. I think it's a no-brainer as well. Tennessee for the easy win. As we go to a game that's not maybe not going to be that close, Raiders and Chiefs. Vegas at 6-6, and Chiefs at 8-4. and Some people are saying Kansas City is back to their elite level. We'll have to see if they take on the Raiders. What do you think between Vegas and Kansas City? Yeah, I, I think that I like, you know, how, how the Chiefs play at the end of the season and especially in the playoffs. This is the time, um, you know, uh, Vegas isn't a terrible team, but I think uh, Chiefs are going to pull off. And, uh, yeah, they're going to they're have the cards in their hands. I think, you know, it, Kansas City just has Vegas's number. That's really all it is for uh, Kansas City. I think Patrick Mahomes, again, this is a game. Ironically enough, I think a couple of the games that uh, the Chiefs have won, uh, he hasn't really thrown – the ball elite. I think he's going to get back to that elite level, get Kelsey Hill more involved. Uh, but I, this is going to be a runaway. I think chiefs just have the Raiders number. Uh, I'll pick Kansas city on that one. As then we go to new Orleans and New York, the jets three and nine, new Orleans five and seven. We still don't know about Alvin Kamara. If he's going to be back in the lineup, he did practice last week, but was ruled inactive for the Thursday night matchup against Dallas. We don't know if he's going to be back until later in the week, but Taysom Hill, he did look good aside from a couple interceptions. What do you think between the Jets and the Saints? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I think the Saints are going to come out on top. Just because it's the Jets? Just because it's the Jets, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen the Jets, man. I mean, like, you know, obviously they're in our, our division, so they play us twice a year, and it's uh, been a couple games out there. It's just they don't have that that drive and that uh, that spirit, so <laughs> I'm going to go with the Saints on that one. I think the hope is because New Orleans is fighting all these injuries, but, you know, they're getting healthier and healthier. Taysom Hill, I think, probably should have been the option instead of Simeon when Winston went out with his knee injury. But, but with the Jets, it's just hard to read them. It's so hard to read them on a week-to-week basis. You think you'll get the team who beat the Titans and the Bengals, and then you get the team who lost to the Eagles last week. So, again, no-brainer. Saints should win this one, but I think it's going to be close, probably by single digits between these two is what I'm (laughs) predicting with this one. As then we go to a pivotal NFC East matchup between the Cowboys and the football team. Washington, right now at 6-6, and own the last playoff spot in the NFC. Meanwhile, Dallas, 8-4 and atop the NFC East, but still – trying to get to that top of the conference to get that first round by. What do you think between the Cowboys and the football team? Yeah, another good one. Another division game, another game that matters a lot. Um, you know, but I think Dak Prescott and the team, I think they're going to do what it takes to get up, uh, up on top this one. I think the, the big thing for Dallas is that when they're healthy, they're one of the top teams in the mm-hmm. league. And Amari Cooper, he fought off the COVID symptoms in that game against New Orleans. Obviously, you've got Elliott and Pollard in the backfield. Dak Prescott didn't even have a great game, and yet they won by, I think, 14 or 13, something like that against New Orleans. This is going to be close, though, especially at home. Washington, their big second-half team in the season, especially last year with Ron Rivera at the helm. I just think Dallas is too much, too much for the football team right now. I think the Cowboys are going to win that one. As then we go to the NFC South between the Falcons and the Panthers, Cam Newton – 
after the bye week, is he going to be that inconsistent guy who only put up maybe 10 fantasy points, you know, barely threw for 100 yards? Or can he right the ship? What do you think about Cam Newton? Does he get it done against the Falcons? No, I don't think he's going to. I just, I think his handicap is, is consistency. It, it's, it's just not his, his thing. Uh, I don't know what, I don't know why I just, I don't, obviously, you know, he, he had his moments with us, but he just, he just couldn't keep that drive going. And uh, for that reason, I'm going to go with Atlanta here. I mean, that fan base might be the reason why it's sort of a Cam Newton discontent, you know, the inconsistencies there from 2020. Could yeah. Be. Not saying it's not. <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of implying it a little bit. Uh, I yeah. think, I think defensively, this is a good Carolina team, but you know, McCaffrey's out for the year. We're learning that the offense is basically put through him and he can't even stay on the field. This could be a game where Cam Newton gets himself back on track, but I think, you know, I agree with you with that. I think Atlanta, you know, they're going to be tight. They're going to be tight. I'm actually going to flip it. Carolina is going to win this one at home. Historically, Cam Newton plays great at uh, at home, especially when you saw a couple weeks ago, he was so fired up against Washington to be back in Carolina. I think that's the difference right now. I think Carolina gets it done and they stop Atlanta defensively, especially after the Falcons lost that game at home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As then we go to Seattle and Houston. Again, maybe one that's kind of a no-brainer. Houston, the first team to be eliminated from the playoff contention. Meanwhile, Seattle's got their own problems at four and eight. What do you think between the Seahawks and the Texans? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it's so one-sided, but I do think Seattle's going to win. You know, is the dynasty over? Yeah, probably. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think Seattle is as bad as a, of a team as their uh, record represents. I think they're just in a tough division. I think they're in the best division. It's That's a tough place to be. So, um, yeah, they'll, they'll win. Um, but... You know, probably not by too much. Yeah, cleaning up the mistakes is the one thing for Seattle. Obviously, you know, I'm on the stance with you, as I said last week, the dynasty is over for Seattle. But I think for this week, they can get over Houston, especially if Russell Wilson just holds on to the ball and maybe get a running game going because you're not going to get a fake punt for an 80-yard touchdown every single week. But I think for this week, Seattle's going to take this one. As then we go to the 4 o'clock slated games, Detroit and Denver. Detroit, as I mentioned, getting their first win of the year. They're now 1-10-1. They've got a Denver team who just got blown out by Kansas City on Sunday Night Football. They sit at 6-6. Six and six. What do you think between the Lions? Can they make it back-to-back in Denver? No, I think the curse of the Lions is going to say otherwise, Joe. I think Denver's going to take this one. Uh, you know, and I know that they got that win. Uh, that's, that's great. I'm happy for them. Um, but I think this is the Broncos time and they're going to make it happen. Let me tell you though, about Dan Campbell though, if you ask, you know, what he did yeah, after the, uh, pre- in the press conference, you know, dedicating the game ball to the Oxford community. Uh, that's a guy you want to play for. And this is a tough Detroit team. They're in it almost every game. They've had maybe two or three blowouts in the year. This is a tough team. Obviously they tied Pittsburgh. I think this is prime opportunity for Detroit to go into Denver and pull off the upset, especially with, you know, defensively, they can shut down their offense because Teddy Bridgewater, he's still kind of a pedestrian quarterback. If they shut down the run game of Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, I think is the difference. And plus offensive offensively is their strength, not necessarily their weakness. So I think Detroit's going to make it back to back. I think they go to two, 10 and one by upsetting Denver here. You know, that's going to be my big upset. Uh, we'll have to see if they, you have an ambitious upset later on as then we go to new york and la we're finding out uh just yesterday 11 players including keenan allen testing positive for covid we still don't know if he's going to be active he is vaccinated so we know it's not the automatic 10 days so there's still a chance he could play on sunday but regardless new york looks like they're going for jake Fromm at the quarterback position the rookie from georgia what do you think between the giants and the chargers yeah, the COVID thing is a huge game changer, and you know it's 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 kind of uncertain, and it's it's tough to say because you don't know who these players are per se that are going to be out or not going to be out. Um, but I think despite all that, I think LA is going to pull it off. Uh, seven and five, you know, Giants four and eight. So I think they're just the better team overall. I think LA is one of the more consistent teams we have in this league. You know, one week they're great beating Cincinnati, and then they're getting blown out uh, by other teams. I think New York is just too much of a mess, especially at the quarterback position. They couldn't win with Daniel Jones. They're not going to win without Daniel Jones. Should be an easy win for the Chargers, but they've got to stop Saquon. Saquon's probably going to be involved in that game very heavily. As we move to the team that 
They beat last week Cincinnati at seven and five. They go to, uh, they host, I should say, San Francisco at six and six. Both teams are vying for playoff spots. They're in the wild card hunt right now. What do you think between the 49ers and the Bengals? I think this is going to be one of the best games of the week. Uh, I am going to go with the underdog here, though, Joe. I think I think San Fran um, is angry. I think you know they lost that game against Seattle and they they want to win, um, but they have something to play for too. Um, so I think it'll be a really close game, but I think San Fran will come uh, come out on top at the end. You know, it's not that crazy of an upset, and I don't really think San Francisco should be that big of an underdog because I think they'll win too. I think Cincinnati's just too hard to read. They're uh, really young. And they just can't keep Joe Burrow on his two feet. You saw it like, I think it was like five or six sacks last week against the Chargers. So we're finding out when you get the advantage of this offensive line, you can beat them. I think uh, San Francisco has one of the better D lines, obviously with Bosa and all those guys. So I think I'm going to ride with you. I think San Francisco pulls off the win. They go to Cincinnati and get themselves back over 500. But then we probably go to what's going to be the game of the week between Buffalo and Tampa Bay. The Bills, as we mentioned, the Monday night loss to New England. Tampa Bay's now won three straight. They're going for the top of the conference standings right now. What do you think between the Bills and the Bucks? Does our old friend Tom Brady get another win? Uh, I think a lot of people are going to have opposition to what I'm going to say here, but I'm actually going to go with Buffalo, Joe. Um, I think I'd be a lot more confident in that pick if it was in Buffalo, um, but I'm still going to go with it. I think that Buffalo is a team that knows Brady well. They know how he operates. Uh, they played him many times. They played him twice a season for a very long time. Um, and I think that the Bills are, you know, a little a little pissed off. They just lost against us, um, so they got some fire. So I think it's going to be a great game. Um, I think it's going to be a close one, maybe even going to OT, but I think uh, the Bills are just going to pull it off. It's going to be a matter of which defense can stop the high-powered offense. We've seen Tampa go nuts. Obviously, Leonard Fournette, five touchdowns in two games. And then you've got the Bills and Josh Allen. So it's about which defense can stop the high-powered offense. I think when you look at Tampa Bay, they probably have the best advantage aside from the secondary position. If Stephon Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, Dawson Knox, they beat the secondary, then they've got a chance. But I agree with you. It could go to OT. It could be close. But I'm going to ride Tampa on this one. I think Tampa at home, Tampa and Tom Brady specifically are a big second half of the season kind of team. That's where they really pick up their mojo. Obviously, as you saw last season, they went undefeated after the bye. So I think Tampa's going to win this game. As then we go to the Sunday night game, an old rivalry, probably the best rivalry in the NFL between the Bears and the Packers at Lambeau Field. Packers at nine and three, Bears at four and eight. Off of the bye week, Aaron Rodgers, maybe that toe is healed. Maybe it's not. But between the Bears and the Pack, Nick, who do you like in this one? I love the rivalry, Joe. You know, it's always good, especially towards the end of the season. But uh, Packers 9-3, and three, you know, Chicago 4-8. and eight. Um, It's just – it's going to be the Packers. They've just got the better team. Got Aaron yeah. Rodgers. And it's looking good. You got the guy who owns them, and he'll even tell you yourse- yourself that he owns the Chicago Bears, obviously – referencing the game in in uh, soldier field. I think home field by week, Aaron Rodgers against Andy Dalton. No brainer. It's going to be a blowout. Going to be a blowout. Packers win that one. No questions asked. As then we go to uh, the Monday night game, nice battle in the NFC West, the Rams and the Cardinals Rams at eight and four coming off a win against Jacksonville Cardinals got a healthy Kyler Murray, healthy Deandre Hopkins pulling off the win against the bears. What do you think on the Monday night slate between the Rams and the cards? I think it's going to be another great game, Joe. Good Monday night football. Um, but I think it's time for the Cardinals to lose here. I'm going to pick the Rams, go with the underdog. Uh, I just like what I'm seeing there. I like Matthew Stafford in the squad. So I'm going to go with the Rams. I think the big difference is three things. One, the Rams struggle with uh, divisional games. Obviously, with the 49ers on Monday night, getting past uh, Seattle, and obviously the other slate against Arizona. Number two, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, fully healthy. They've shaken. You saw, obviously, with Kyler Murray that he shook off the rust. Hopkins, I have no mm-hmm. doubt that he'll shake off the rust. And three, Arizona's at home. They don't have to go to the cold, windy environments like Chicago or Buffalo. They get to be in the toaster, inside, and play their best. Play their That's best. why Arizona is going to win this game. On I think they've been the best team in the NFC, even without those guys, healthy or not healthy. And I think it's going to continue as Arizona wins that game on Monday night. And that right, we'll does see it. yeah, that does it for our slate of week 14 games. Nick, thanks for taking the time again, for those that want to check out boomsplayground.com, 
Tell them where they can find you and find the website. Boomsplayground.com. Just type it in. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, uh, just Booms Playground Boom, apostrophe S, B-O-O-M, apostrophe S, uh, Playground. And uh, I put all the posts on there, and um, it's pretty intuitive, not really that hard to navigate. So uh, it's at your disposal. If you uh, are into outing stuff and you like, uh, you know, uh, well-written blogs, uh, check it out. Again, it's boomsplayground.com. Check that blog out. Nick Devlin, thank you for taking the time and good luck with your picks on week 14. Thank you for having me, Joe. Special thanks again to Nick Devlin, BloomsPlayground.com. Check it out, his personal blog about the outdoors. As we stick with football and go to the college game, the playoffs are now set. We've got the Final Four. We've got all the bowls being scheduled. And it looks like this. Number one is Alabama. Number two is Michigan. Number three is Georgia. Number four, Cincinnati. Now, I'll tell it to you like this. That was ideal. Exactly perfect for uh, this bowl, these bowls. I think the committee got it right. I think, you know, it, it would have been different if Georgia had won. You know, like I said, if Georgia wins, Alabama's out. Michigan, strong, emphatic win. I ultimately kind of thought, you know, they could have been number one. But, I mean, props to all four teams, you know. Notre Dame was right there, but they continued and just fought on through. And before we get into, you know, predictions about possibly the college football playoff, let's look back on those conference games. I mean, Alabama and Georgia, what a game between those two. I mean, was I expecting Alabama to maybe keep it close? Yes. A potential win? Yes. But to blow them out the way they did, ultimately taking advantage of a nationwide best Defense that the Bulldogs have, totally out of the air, out of nowhere. Was not expecting that at all. So I give props to Alabama. Bryce Young, who right now many are predicting to be the Heisman Trophy winner among those finalists. I mean, Alabama and Nick Saban, again, what's what's ironic is that Nick Saban, um, everyone was kind of doubting them more than they have in years past. And what does he do? He comes back, disposes of Georgia, and shows that, hey, we're not going anywhere. So, again, it's Nick Saban coaching these kids. And, you know, even when you look at their one loss this year against Texas A&M, that was basically at the buzzer. It was a three-point game, essentially. So, you know, you could say aside from maybe five minutes of a quarter, this had been the best team nationwide. But then again, they had close matchups to Florida. LSU, uh, the overtime, the four overtime game against Auburn. You know, I see, I see Alabama right now, you know, being a favorite. I think they're one of the, the top two teams to really watch out for. Uh, but to the Big Ten and about Michigan, they just came out, as I said, absolutely dominant against Iowa. They weren't playing any games. They just wanted to go. And as I said last week, they had to score early, score often, which they did against Iowa, giving them no shot to come back in this game. And I think Michigan has really cemented themselves as, you know, at least for this year as a title contender. And I think they actually have a legit shot if they can get past Georgia. If they can get past Georgia, then I think, you know, personnel-wise, obviously it's going to be different from when the time comes around. But I think Michigan is a really good team. I don't think this is a this is a one-off. As I said, about the game against Ohio State. The monkey's off the back. The confidence is there. And you saw them ride that out against this Iowa team in Indianapolis when they took home the Big Ten title. So Michigan, I'm kind of pulling for. They're like my sentimental favorite, which, you know, a lot of people could say Cincinnati is the sentimental favorite. But ultimately, AAC champions, I think everyone saw this coming. Schedule was pretty easy. And I have been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks that if they go undefeated, they should get in. And they did. And they did. So props to the committee for getting that right, because it would have been a travesty to see 
a team like Cincinnati not get in? Because we've seen it in the past, you know, with UCF going undefeated and they don't get in or other undefeated teams in lesser conferences, you know, not get selected or even sniff the top four. So total credit to Cincinnati and the committee for getting that right. But now the big time prediction about these two, I think in the Cotton Bowl, Alabama wipes the floor with Cincinnati. I think it's not even going to be a contest. And I think Alabama beats Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl. And then when you get to the Orange Bowl, something in my mind is telling me that Michigan can do it. Something's telling me Michigan can do it. But I think it's going to be very, very close in the Capital One Orange Bowl. I think the the prediction I'm going to make is Michigan. Michigan is going to beat Georgia, get themselves to the national championship. But ultimately, I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia wins either because it's it's that close between these two. But then when those two meet in the national title game on Monday, January 10th, the CFP National Championship presented by AT&T, I think it goes to Alabama. I think Alabama is just, they're a dynasty that can't be knocked down until you beat them multiple times, you know? We've seen Nick Saban lose one game in the past. It's very rarely, very rarely you see him lose two games in the same season, you know, excluding playoffs or bowls or something like that. And, you know, maybe it's happened twice over the last 10 years or so while he's been at Alabama. So I don't see that happening this year. I think the roll tide will continue to roll and get themselves another national championship. But it is one of the most exciting times of the year when the college football bowl season gets underway. So next up, we're going to the NBA and talk about some of the recent headlines going on. We're in the month of December, so it's still kind of a fresh year out there. You know, some of the, Headlines about certain team success might be changed when it comes to the next month, January or February or March. So a lot of things can still change. A lot of things can still happen. But obviously the biggest, I should say one of the biggest uh, headlines going around in the NBA is just the situation in Portland. I mean, firing the president and the general manager, Damian Lillard's injured. CJ McCollum now has a collapsed lung. And it's just, it's chaos right now in Portland, essentially. And, you know, the debate is, are they going to rebuild? Are they not going to rebuild? Is Dame Lillard going to be traded or not? I don't know. I don't know. But I'll bring it to you like this. Head coach Chauncey Billups, respected and liked around the league. 90% of people in the NBA should say he should not be the victim in all of this. He shouldn't. He's got to stick around, okay? Because I understand you know, the turmoil about firing Terry Stotts and then bringing in Billups, who doesn't have any kind of head coaching experience. I get that. But you're telling me you're not even give going to give a full season to a guy to try this out? I don't know essentially what ownership is kind of what's going on in their head, but I don't think Chauncey Billups is the problem. It's not. I sort of, you know, I go back to the general manager and the president who got fired, you know, the way that they've built their team. They're trying to build it around Dame Lillard and CJ McCall, but they have done nothing. You know, you'd think they try to lure some kind of superstar out there instead of getting guys who just like to play, you know, start. I understand it's Portland, but you got to kind of break the bank for a few of these guys, you know, look at some of the free agents that were out there and try and, and pick them up. But instead they stick with sort of this rotation of Nurkic and Covington, and, you know, just picking up little pieces like that. I do think that this ends with a Damian Lillard trade. I think, I think you know, everything's going to get blown up. I don't know if it's going to be immediate. I don't know if it's going to be when the season's over, at the All-Star break. I don't know when it's going to be, but I this has the makings that it's going to blow up you know, and, and props to Damian Lillard for being well-respected about this situation, you know, saying, I want to stay in Portland. I want to stay in Portland. I want to stay in Portland. He's not requesting a trade. That's what you should do if you're committed to the city. I mean, this guy got drafted in 2012. 
or I'm sorry, 2013 and rookie of the year, Western conference finals, that amazing shot against the thunder in 2019. I mean, this guy is the greatest, possibly the greatest trailblazer in franchise history. So he's doing exactly what needs to be done among these in, in not only in the community, but for the franchise itself, staying committed to the process. But I ultimately think whatever kind of new GM comes in, I think they see the situation, you know, look at the record 11 and 14 or 11 and 15. And I think they just say, you know what? We got to try again. We got to try again. Cause what's it been eight years, eight years with the, the Lillard, experiment and McCollum experiment, you know, one of them gets traded. Both of them gets traded. They've only made the Western conference finals. What one time, one time. And that was kind of a blow away to golden state. So I think this ultimately ends in a Damian Lillard trade. And, you know, if we hear these kind of rumors, you gotta start paying attention to some teams that might get involved, you know, maybe the Sixers, the Celtics, you know, teams like that. So just, Keep your eyes out for that Portland situation because it's a mess right now and it's not going to end pretty. But a situation that is pretty right now is the Steph Curry situation in Golden State. Last night, six three-pointers. He's now nine behind the all-time record of Ray Allen for most career three-pointers. He'll be 10 away from breaking the record. And let's face it, we all know what's going to happen. We all know he's going to break it. I mean... Once once he does break it, that's essentially like the official nail in the coffin of him being the greatest shooter of all time. Better than Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, Hornacek, Glenn Rice, you know, all those guys. I thought already he was the greatest shooter. You know, looking at what he did last year was sort of a depleted Warriors team and continuing to just show out. Uh, that, that, to me, showed that he was the greatest shooter of all time. But this when he breaks the mark, when he breaks the record for Ray Allen. And it sucks that it's going to be on the road and that he'll do it on the road. But when it happens, and it's not an if, this is a very confident when it happens, he will be the greatest shooter of all time. And there will be no arguments about it. You know, maybe the one argument is, oh, he hasn't hit a big time shot or a game winning shot or stuff like that. No, no. I don't, I don't care if he has, I don't care if he hasn't. What he has done, the range that he has, and just the way he has revolutionized the game. And that's another little debate between him and Michael Jordan, maybe who revolutionized the game and more. I would say Steph Curry probably, just because of his shooting ability, has made teams ultimately change their style of play to sort of adapt to him, to adapt to Steph Curry and keep up with that Golden State team. So, you know, I could see I could see the argument behind that, but I think for the immediate right now, when he breaks Ray, Ray Allen's mark for most career three-pointers, he will be the greatest shooter of all time. And I think he cements himself as a top 10 all-time great, as a top 10 all-time great. You know, I'm not going to make any kind of lists. You know, I'm, I'm not going to waste my time on that. You know, he deserves to be on the NBA 75 list. He deserves a first ballot Hall of Fame. I think Steph Curry, when he breaks the mark, will be the greatest shooter of all time. He'll be a top 10 great player of all time. He'll be doing a lot of things just by getting 10 more threes throughout the span of the season. And not only that, but the success of Golden State is helping out as well because the statement gets said over and over again, no Clay Thompson, no James Wiseman, and they're still, uh, I think it's like 18 and three or uh, whatever kind of standings. That is, I'm looking it up really quickly. You know, the team is playing well. And I think right now, you know, 21-4 is the actual record. Half game above Phoenix right now. I think they are the best team in the NBA right now. You know, I thought it was going to be Phoenix after Phoenix beat them. But I just think Golden State's got too much. They're, they're too much offensively. They're back to where they once were. But then the final headline you got to watch out for in the NBA again, is the Lakers. Lakers 13 and 12 right now. And it's kind of looking like that, that AD, LeBron, Russ, they're all finding the way to play together. I mean, that game versus the Celtics was maybe the start, was maybe the start where they all, I think they combined for like 71 points or something like that. 
you know, as I said over and over and over, this is not a season that will be lost within the first month or two months of the season. Okay. With the way the conference is right now, you know, when you look at the top three of Golden State, Phoenix, Utah, they're all within three and a half of each other. But then after that, Memphis is 14, 11, Clippers 14 and 12, Lakers 13, 12. It's all jumbled basically from four to 11. So it's about, you know, finding the chemistry, finding what rotation works for Frank Vogel. So this, this is not something to panic about. Okay. They are, you know, LeBron and Russ are showing that they can play with each other. There is a way that they can play with each other. It's just a matter of doing it on a consistent basis. I think, you know, the goal for them right now is maybe to reach that four or that three seed. That might be their max right now. That might be their ceiling for the regular season, you know, pending any injuries or something like that. But this is all about being able to right the ship and learning to play with each other when it comes playoff time. When it comes playoff time, that's when you see the true Laker team. If Russell Westbrook and LeBron James, both their styles of play, can they work on the court together? That's something to keep an eye on here, but with the headlines going on in the NBA only in the month of December, imagine what can be going on during the rest of the regular season. time of the show where we look at our local teams and see what's going on in the city of Boston. It's our let's get local segment of the week. And we talked about the Patriots during our NFL segment. Let's talk specifically about that Monday night game, because let me tell you old school rules during that Monday night game, Bill Belichick taking us back to the twenties and the thirties where it was run, run, run the ball. Only three attempts from Mac Jones. Okay. I know the theme of the season was not to put the pressure on Jones, but to not let him throw the ball more than three times. I mean, obviously, obviously it's a big joke because we know that's never going to happen again. You know, the weather played a huge factor into both teams game planning. I mean, what's, what's funny is watching the bills in the post game, you know, crying saying like, well, there's nothing they didn't do. No, I'll tell you what happened. They ran the ball. They told you they were going to run the ball. And you just couldn't stop them. That's all it was. You just couldn't stop them. And, you know, you could have had Josh Allen maybe run the ball. You could have done something like that. But the fact is the Bills didn't have a run game. Okay. Now, this isn't, you know, a blow them out, you know, statement defining win for New England. Because like I said, I still hold out hope when the Indianapolis game comes and then they play Buffalo again. But, I mean... 14 points in that kind of weather. I mean, obviously the Damian Harris touchdown was the big, the big thing. And Buffalo defensively were able to hold them down. They did stop the run slightly, slightly. But again, this was a game one on defense. This is the reason why this team is doing so well. And keep in mind, Kyle Duggar wasn't even playing. Miles Bryant comes in, plays the safety and has the game clinching uh, deflection on that fourth down play in the fourth quarter. So I give full credit to the New England Patriots for adapting to this kind of weather and coming up with a game plan that no one had ever seen before. And you would have thought if Buffalo is this high-powered team that they are, they would have said, oh, they're going to run the ball. Let's just stop them. They would have been able to stop the run, but they couldn't because they have great running backs in Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, something Buffalo does not have. They have a great defensive line and a great secondary, something Buffalo does not have. And ultimately, I think that this is a Patriots team that can win the AFC East. You know, I did say at this moment, they're one of the top two teams in the AFC, but I think there's confidence now that this team can win the division, that they can win the AFC East, especially, you know, after the, uh, after the Indianapolis, the Buffalo game, you get Jacksonville and Miami. I think this is a team that can win the division and who knows, they could even win uh, the rest of their games. You know, they could win the final four games, but they do get the buy to sort of relax, get healthy. And obviously with that kind of weather, I don't blame them for 
wanting to rest as much as they can. So props to New England for winning 14 to 10 in Buffalo in what was a once in a lifetime kind of weather event up there in Buffalo, New York. But a team that doesn't have to play in that kind of weather are the Celtics and the West Coast swim swing is not looking that good. They're right now one and three in their games. Okay. They lost to Utah, lost to both LA teams and they won against Portland. But as I said before, Portland's a mess. Obviously this team isn't healthy. You know, we haven't seen Jalen Brown at all on this West coast trip. Rob Williams has been in and out of the lineup, but I got to watch that Clippers game last night. And let me tell you, there's no, as I said in the beginning of the year, and as I say for, for a long time, there's no consistency with this Celtics team. Okay. There's no consistency in terms of keeping it for a full 48 minutes. Okay. They were down 21 and they lost by three. Okay. Imagine if they actually like picked up their slack during the second quarter or the third quarter or something like that. And they played better defensively. Okay. Why, why could Boston go for a career high of like 30 points or something like that? Brand Boston jr. I saw a graphic, like he only scored like 54 points to that point, And he had like 28 or something like that. The fact that the Celtics did that to a guy who's virtually unknown Gives me a lot. It gives me a ton of question marks. Okay. A ton of question marks for this team. The fact that a, a rookie like that, like Brandon Boston can have the game of his life, you know, and score 27 points on nine of 13 shooting. That's concerning to me. That is concerning to me. And I don't know if it's a rotation thing or if it's an energy kind of thing, but this is something that, to me is really concerning, really concerning to me to see the Clippers without Paul George, without Paul George, without Kawhi Leonard, they still put up 114 points. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, Marcus Morris, offensive option. Number one, Reggie Jackson. Come on, Luke Kennard. This is, this is, I, I'm just lost at words for the Celtics team, okay? I understand they're still 13 and 12 or 13 and 13. They're still in seventh right now, and it's still a long season. But where's the consistent effort, okay? This was a team that had 20-plus turnovers last game. This is a team that should take care of the ball. This is a team that should play better defensively than they did last night, okay? I understand they're going against some tough teams, obviously the Lakers, the Jazz, and the Suns are coming up this Friday, but still at least show some kind of effort. They just looked flat. I understand it was the second night of a back-to-back last night, but still they came out flat. Have some energy, have some pride for goodness sake. And who knows if that comes back when Jalen Brown comes back. It's still early on, but that's just the hot take I had to get about the Celtics is that if they went 40 three minutes instead of, you know, 38 minutes of playing hard, playing tough, then maybe you wouldn't have to make that incredible comeback to try and get things close, close. So I'm, I'm disappointed in the Celtics to see what they did last night. And hopefully they bounce back against Phoenix. And then hopefully when they come back uh, to the garden and start playing some games, you know, luckily it's still early. It's only December. But another team that is struggling are the Bruins. And right now they're sitting, you know, Brad Marchand is back. That's that's a good thing. But they still lose in a shootout to Vancouver. Now, the way the standings are right now, they've still played probably the fewest amount of games. One of the teams that played the, you know, looking right now, they've played the second fewest games in the league right now. They've only played 22 uh, right in front of the Islanders, 21. And they're at fifth place right now at 26 points. I'm just, why, what is wrong with this team? I'm still trying to figure that out because I don't see any problems in the goaltending area. I don't see anything like that. I think Swayman is playing great. I think Allmark right behind him is playing great. But just the way these lines are, are working with each other, you know, obviously it was, Altered a little bit because Marshawn was suspended, but luckily he was back 
last night. But still, I, I don't know what's going on with this team and why they can't score all of a sudden. I mean, look at the last couple of games that they've had. I don't think they've scored more than five since their win against the Sabres. Just looking at it right now, they've scored two, three, one, two, two, and one in their past couple of games. Okay. This is a line that Bruce Cassidy, they've, he's got to figure it out. He's got to figure out who is playing with each other. Okay. Maybe you move Taylor Hall up to the front line or the first line and back, um, I don't know, maybe uh, Posternock or something like that. Balance out the line because we're seeing, you know, with these lines, we're seeing no offense whatsoever. None. Even when Marshawn is in the lineup. Okay. Going into Vancouver, losing two to one, going hosting Tampa Bay. Losing three to two, you know, the lucky thing is you didn't lose any points. That's the good thing. But now you are playing Edmonton, arguably the hottest team right now in the NHL with the two best scorers right now in Dreisaitl and McDavid. Okay, this is not going to be pretty tonight. I'm going to tell you this right now. It's not going to be pretty, especially if you're losing in overtime to the Canucks, who are the second worst team in the Pacific Division right now. You know, I I can't pinpoint one specific thing that's going on with this Bruins team, but all I know is they've got to turn it around and they've got more games to do it, but we've got to figure out what's going on. We've got to see if Bruce Cassidy can, you know, change up the lines. Maybe Jake DeBrus, you know, he did request a trade. I don't know if he's playing, you know, to increase his value or whatever, but I don't know. We'll have to see what's, uh, what's going on with this Bruins team. Hopefully they can turn it around, but with things getting colder in the Boston area, the, the action between the Bruins, the Celtics, and the Pats are sure to be heating up. Lastly, as always, to end our show, it's our LOL moment of the week. Now, the headline this week was the Pats-Bills game. Not necessarily the game itself, but the weather took over. There were blizzard conditions, wind, snow. You know, you saw players and and, uh, personnel just like flying all over the place because of that wind. But there was one person in particular who said, screw the weather. I'm keeping it the way things should be. So without any further ado, this week's LOL moment of the week goes to David Andrews, the starting center for the New England Patriots. Check out this video in the pregame warmups. There's snow, there's wind, it's cold. Who cares? He's going in a tank top and shorts. That's how he's warming up. Now, that is the definition of a football player, okay? I'll never understand how these players, you know, go into, you know, sub freezing temperatures or, you know, cold temperatures like this and still have like short sleeves and stuff like that. I'll never, I'll never be able to process it. I'll, I'll never forget, you know, the re- the ice bowl in Minnesota. I think it was the wild card game back in 2015. I want to say 2016 between the Seahawks and the Vikings. And it was like, I don't know, maybe, four degrees with like a wind chill of like negative 20 or something like that. And they were outside, but then you've got, you know, the, the, the legend, I, I forget his name, but he's walking out for the coin toss in short sleeves. You've got, you know, a lot of guys in short sleeves, they're cut up, not even that, but they're like cut up to like the armpit or whatever. So I'm just blown away to see how these players, you know, in these kind of conditions, these kind of temperatures go, you know, short sleeve or something like that. I understand like it's kind of like a tackling thing where it's like it's harder to like grab um, like, you know, the skin rather than if you're wearing like long sleeves because you can like grab the sleeve easier to pull them down. So I kind of get it like that. But if you're getting temperatures with like a wind chill in the 20s or whatever, like how do you prepare your body for something like that? I can't even walk out the door without throwing on a sweatshirt and a heavy jacket, you know, in these kind of conditions. So I give props to David Andrews for being that tough. And who maybe it was that toughness that helped the Patriots to the victory. So David Andrews for that wild, wild pregame sequence that you had where you ignore the conditions and don't put on any layers at all. 
you've landed yourself into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that's going to do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Make sure, as always, you follow our pages on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got to get a point, you got to get across. Just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.